Well, hey there and howdy out there in Radio Land. Good news, you're just in time for Talking Movies with my mom. And a very big welcome to all of you listening out there, wherever you are, whenever you are. I hope you're doing well, and thank you for joining us for a little bit of conversation. I'm your host, Ben Revere, and alongside me is my very classy co-host, my bum. Hello. How's it, how's it going? It's going okay. I'm still learning the equipment. You're still learning the equipment. I yes. I don't know if my hello came through. I think it, well, it did. Your second hello came through. Oh, that's good. So if the first one didn't come through, you got a second one in there. Oh, okay. Or I said hello twice. <laughs> I think you said it at least three times hello now. Hello again. <laughs> hello. Here we are. Yeah, we made it beyond the pilot. Yeah, that's something, ain't it? How the hell did that happen? I have no idea. I sort of forgot that it was even out there. Well, I knew that it was. But then someone approached me, and I was like, whoa, I forgot I did that. Somebody somebody on the street no. said, oh, hey, you're on that podcast. No, it was someone that knew me. Someone that knew you, yes. Yes. Yes, we've had some very, very, very gracious uh, relatives tuning in. <laughs> for that pilot and and we i appreciate it and i appreciated the review yeah it was it sounds like we're doing good yeah so well we'll continue uh for those of you that are new to this uh this is a little podcast just about movies we will talk about some good movies some bad movies maybe some indifferent ones so if that's uh, your thing maybe this is the show for you and uh, thank you to everyone that kind of gave us some feedback on the on the first attempt at this. And here we are again. Uh, actually, I received uh, some messages. Really? Yes. Uh, you were just hearing it anecdotally from somebody talking to you, right? Right. Well, I, I actually forgot we had an email address. Well, this actually was these were messages sent directly to me. Oh my! Not I'm glad you mentioned the email address. Yeah, I don't remember what it is. It, it's talking movies with my mom at gmail dot com. So if anybody out there wants to send us a, a message, you absolutely can. Uh, but this, these messages were sent directly to me. Nice. Yeah, from good old Uncle Darren. Oh. Darren Wentz. Yeah, there you go. Fargo singer songwriter. Thank He's a you good so singer. much. He is. He's a great guy. Yeah, if you can catch him, he's really good. He is. Uh, one of the best singer-songwriters that come out of uh, Fargo, North Dakota, or I, I'll say it in full, in North Dakota. He's yeah. one of the best. And beyond singing, he's just a good entertainer. Absolutely. Yeah. So he sent me a message with, uh, he actually put it in bullet points, uh, his critique oh. on our pilot episode, uh, which was our review of The Gods Must Be Crazy from 1980. Uh, so if anybody hasn't listened to that, this would be a good time for you to listen to it. It's it, it, it's, it's a decent listen, I think. So uh, at any rate, Darren gave me some notes, and I'll share it with you. And some of this actually sheds some light on our discussion from that movie. He says, uh, number one, I'm in love with the blonde teacher. I guess he just thought she was... You remember the blonde teacher? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he yeah. thought she was just smoking hot. Yeah. And uh, number two, all of the blonde's dialogue was dubbed because her South African accent was too thick. That's interesting. I Well, and we'll see if that's true. I don't know. I might have to do some research on this. And uh, But I thought, you know, you could tell the dub with her yeah, was you kind could. of off. Yeah. But at any rate, uh, number three, he says, Ben, your attempt at African accents is completely Indian. <laughs> well, there you go. It must have been when I was trying to uh, impersonate Impudi. Impudi, yeah. He was my favorite character from that. So I guess I have to work on my, my South African accent. Where was or... it? Nairobi? No. No, it was in the Kalahari. Hey, you got to look up Kalahari's accents. Yes. And he also sent a, a link that debunks the whole rhinos stomping out fires. Aww. So that was all bullshit in the I kind of wanted it to be true. I kind of did, too. <laughs> 
but I guess that's all bullshit. So many, many thanks uh, to Uncle Darren for sending us a message there. Thank you for listening. And uh, you know what? This seems like a perfect opportunity for me to uh, let the listeners know that, hey, are you looking for some good quality music? You should check out Darren Wentz. He's got an album that's out. It's called When You Were Young. It's got great songs, songs that'll make you laugh, songs that'll make you cry, some songs that are just fun to listen to. Go ahead and sample it on Spotify, and you know what? You're going to love it, so you know you can get it on Amazon. You can download the MP3 or buy a, a physical copy, and uh, from Darren himself, he has said they make wonderful coasters. So definitely check that out. Nice. You've seen Darren play live. I saw Darren play live down in at a winery. Yeah, Ridgewood Winery. Ridgewood Winery. Just outside, uh, around the Detroit Lakes area. He does an awesome show. He does. He's a great guy. And, and uh, you know, he, he's a fan of us. So there you go. There you go. Share the love. All right. Should we talk about the movie we're going to watch? Yeah, I don't think I've seen it. I looked at the cover. You looked at the cover of it, and uh, it doesn't doesn't seem to recognize or doesn't. No, I haven't seen it. Okay, you haven't seen it. All right. Well, now's you know. Now's a good a time as any. This is from 1974, an American rock musical horror comedy. That might be interesting. I'm not yeah? going to lie. I'm kind of curious about it. The director of this film actually uh, also directed your favorite movie about a prom. Oh, really? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Which one? Carrie. That's right. Brian De Palma directed this film. Uh, it was scored by Paul Williams. Yeah, I saw that on the cover. That has me intrigued. He does all the music, and he's also in the movie. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. I'm a huge Paul Williams fan. I, You know that about me. Yeah, I like Paul Williams, too. I like his music and his writing. Well, and I think a lot of people know Paul Williams' music, but they're not familiar with who Paul Williams is. That's true. Because he wrote for, it seemed like anybody and everybody. He wrote most of the discography for the carpenters yeah he was kind of the guy behind the scenes a lot of the time he was a songwriter yeah he wasn't you know he wanted to be a movie star that was his big thing he wanted to be a movie star when he first started out and then but he was musically inclined and you know he made money actually being able to write and sell music and and he actually i don't know if he still is but he was a big advocate for uh, songwriters and actually protecting their rights of their intellectual properties and what have you with copyrights and things like that. Very active in that. I think he still might be. Well, and they don't always get their their due diligence of who wrote the song. They don't get recognized. Absolutely. You know, the song comes out and it's all about the person who sang it. Right. You know, it's not always the case, but Paul Williams is just a, one of those odd talents, wouldn't you say? I mean, he's an odd-looking guy. Yeah, as far as an actor, you know, he doesn't have, like, the twisted steel and sex appeal. <laughs> you know, I, you don't really think about seeing him in any kind of No, he's not doing many, in many action films at all. No. Did you know he used to wear lifts? Really? Yeah, because he's so short. Well, how tall is he? Do you know? I don't. I don't know yeah, how he's tall a short he is. Guy. He is a short guy, but uh, he was. Well, that was one thing I think he was very self-conscious about. But still, he had the. Well, he had a lot of things going for him. He had his uh, excellent talent, and then he made some money. And unfortunately, at a certain point, he discovered cocaine. And yeah, that kind of fueled things. Uh, but even now, he's still he's still around. Uh, he's cleaned himself up. And, you know, every once in a while, see him, um, you see uh, Daft Punk was a group that came out uh, not that long ago. And they collaborated with him. Uh, oh. So there are musicians. So he's that, still on the scene writing stuff and collaborating with people. Yeah. I mean, he's not That's doing cool. as much as he did at one point in time. But he is still, you know, fairly prolific. 
That's cool. And uh, but kind of a cult audience, as, yeah. as far as a lot of his stuff. You know, like I said, uh, he wrote for the Carpenters. He also wrote for um, oh shoot, um, old fashioned love song. Who did that? Was oh. that that wasn't that was a three dog night? I was gonna yeah. say CCR. But that's wrong. It was Three, Three Dog, Dog Night, Night that, yep. uh, an old-fashioned love yep. song. That was a Paul Williams tune. I think there's a lot of tunes out there that people don't realize he wrote. Oh, not a, many at all. So you did ask how tall he is, and as we were chatting, I looked it up. How tall do you think he is? 5'5". Mm, five, five. He's 5'2". Oh, he's short like me. He is short like you. <laughs> he's one inch taller than me. Yeah. Wow. One inch taller than you, and you said that he was uh, that he wasn't exactly twisted steel and sex appeal. Yeah, that's actually a line from another movie. No, I know it is, yeah, but I just but thought it was funny. And now you hear, oh, you can see eye to eye to him, and you know, yeah, maybe does that change huh? your attitude towards him? No, I still think he's really <laughs> talented, but you wouldn't see him in some kind of big drama film or action film, you know. Which I, you know, I think is a little bit of a shame. You know, I always like to see people in weird things, doing stuff that they'd never done before. Outside of their realm. Yeah. Outside of their realm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, the movie we're watching is going to be The Phantom of the Paradise. I did look this up for anyone that is interested. Uh, you can find this uh, streaming on Amazon Prime right now if you have that available but it's also available to rent on uh youtube google google play apple tv and wherever else uh i don't want to give anything away on this one no i want to experience it like without any preconceived ideas no preconceived notions or Mm -hmm. anything at all uh well i'll get i'll give an ounce of context how about that okay just a little bit So in the film, a naive young singer-songwriter is tricked by a legendary but unscrupulous music producer into giving up his life's work, a rock opera that's based on the Faust legend. The composer then dons on a bizarre new persona to terrorize the new concert hall in revenge and to have his favorite singer perform his music. No, that sounds interesting. So there's, yeah, there's some stuff going on here, some literary references, and uh, the music alone is uh, probably some of the most fun in the whole thing. I'm all kind of curious about them rolling the, I can see the comedy part, but rolling the horror part into it. That's got me curious. That has you curious. Yes, it does. All right. Well, uh, this looks like to be about the time that uh, we're going to pause for a moment and actually go ahead and view this. And this is an opportunity for anybody playing the home game. If you've never seen this movie before or even if you have or whatever, if you want to take a break and also view it and come back with us, we'll take a quick pause for the cause. And we'll see what the Phantom of the Paradise has to provide. Hey gang, are you looking for some stickers? You know, those fun little things that you put on coffee cups or water bottles. Hell, some of you might be crazy enough to even put them on the bumper of your car. Well, I want to let you know that Art Riot Promotions is there for you to stick a bit of fun back into your life. If you're promoting a small business or a band or even a podcast, Art Riot is ready to deliver. Check them out at 819 Main Avenue in Moorhead, Minnesota or online at artriotpromotions.com. Art Riot Promotions, bringing a little bit of weird back to Fargo-Moorhead. Well, hey, would you look at that? We're back from the break. Here we are. Here we are. All right, 1974, directed by Brian De Palma, starring Paul Williams, William Findlay, and Jessica Harper, among others, Phantom of the Paradise. 
What are your initial thoughts, Mom? It was good. Yeah? Yeah, it was a lot more than I expected. There's a lot going on. What did you expect? I guess I knew there was going to be music, but I didn't know how they were going to tie it together as far as a musical. Yeah. It's not exactly what you expect from a typical musical. No, it's not. And music is a big theme in the whole thing. But it doesn't tell the whole story. No, it doesn't tell. it. It's part of the story. It, it's actually a huge part of the story. Let, I mean, let's talk the songs themselves. Right. When we start out, there's the group called the Juicy Fruits, and they're kind of like uh, almost, I, I want to say like 60s rock sort yeah. of a group. Yeah, they And then are. that transforms, and they do a whole Beach Boys like number right later on and then they you know at one point you said are they are they doing a ripoff on kiss right now they they go through all these different genres of music and it does surround around the music industry as well yeah it did because they really hit on i'm sure i missed different ones that they were hitting on of genres because it moves fast through that you got to be paying attention absolutely so uh, to give a little context, uh, William Findlay, he plays a character named uh, Winslow Leach, who has uh, written this beautiful rock cantata, which is based off of Faust, the story of the German uh, mu- magician that sold his soul to the devil. And he's trying to sell it. or he's. I, I, do you think he's trying to sell it? I think he's just trying to have the opportunity to play his music i think he wanted to perform maybe the instrumental part but he wanted to be a part of it if it were to be performed well most definitely and also to receive the credit for it as well and that wonders if you know paul williams is hearkening to how songwriters don't get their due credit well that is the thing i think has a lot to do with it uh because i mentioned it you know briefly in the in our first half that uh, it was i looked it up here in april of 2009 williams was elected president and chairman of the american society of composers authors and publishers also known as ascap oh yeah, it's a yeah. whole group that, that protects artists, and it's called ASCAP. That's the yeah, name Yeah, I've of heard it. of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I do have to think, you know, if that, uh, you know, that was, it was later in his life. Obviously, this was 1974 when Phantom of the Paradise came out. But then, in, you know, years later, in April of 2009, he's now the chairman, you know, protecting the intellectual rights and and the credit of all of these artists and this movie is all about that of how the music industry can just be vicious and they're almost just looking for whatever is popular at that time right that's a really big running theme in the movie of how they maybe exploit the writers and the people who create the music that's very much evident because the music that he's writing as the character right doesn't get it played the way he envisions it and it even transcends into other media because i remember hearing an interview uh it was on some podcast or something where they were talking about this film and even how it transcends to like television because, you know, they actually do in this movie, they try to televise a murder. Yeah. At the end. Yeah, they do. And the sensationalism of it and the crowd is getting into it. And it's all this, you know, how the media can kind of just be that influence to get people on board. Right. And then to distort something. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much going on with it as far as thematics. Uh, but it's also quite funny in a oh, lot of yeah. parts. It was very entertaining. Yeah. It has a very 70s vibe that the costuming and just the whole thing, the music, the costuming, that it was kind of the wild era, that 70s. You know, you're coming out of the 60s and all the flower children. And it 
that part was just fun to watch, just to see how stuff was staged. Yes. And uh, a lot of people, when they think like rock operas, what, what what's the first thing that you think of if somebody said, hey, a rock opera? I guess I don't really know. I mean, an opera, I think of, you know, traditional opera. How about a rock musical? A rock musical, you would think more like just bands playing. And But is there a title of one that you can think of? Mm. Catching me on the spot. Am I? Give me a Am hint. I out of your purview? How yeah. about the Rocky Horror Picture Show? You ever heard of that? Which I have never actually seen. Oh, you've never seen it. So then This that, may I, be I, one we have to review. Okay. I've never actually been to a Rocky Horror Picture Show. I didn't realize I literally was putting you on the spot. I yeah. apologize for that. No, that's okay. I mean, that's one that I am curious about, but I've never made my way to the theater. That's fair. The reason I brought it up is because this film, Phantom of the Paradise, is very similar in that same vein to Rocky Horror. And uh, the Rocky Horror Picture Show went off like gangbusters in 1975. Well, and I told you after we got done watching, having grown up in that time, I knew about the Rocky Horror Picture Show. I've just never seen it. I also know it has a cult following. And it this film did not have any kind of cult following. No, when I was, well... It out did. About in 74. It, uh, it did get a little bit of a cult following, to which I'll get to in a second. Okay. But the point I wanted to make was Rocky Horror came out in 1975. Phantom of the Paradise came out in 1974. So, so was it the segue for that kind of who film knows to come out? if it was? I don't know. I don't think so because Phantom of the Paradise did horribly. At the box office. But it does have that vibe, that same vibe as... I mean, I know what Rocky Horror Picture Show is about. I just haven't seen it. And it does... This film has that same kind of vibe that you would expect out of like a cult following film. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, but it, it didn't even... So here, here's the cult following that Phantom of the Paradise got. It was a complete flop when it came out. And the only place in North America that it gained wide popularity was in Winnipeg, Manitoba. That's interesting. Yeah, there's a huge cult following for Phantom of the Paradise in Winnipeg. They just go nuts for it. Anywhere else in North America, I'm sure there's, you know, oddballs like me who you know even go out and buy a copy of the film but uh yeah winnipeg is where they're the biggest well i'm not gonna lie i could i could be a cult follower of this like i was noting the death record logo and i might have to look for a t-shirt okay you mentioned the death record logo this Mm -hmm. was a fun thing i wanted to mention about that that death records that thing and then the dead bird yeah they had to come up with that idea after they shot the film oh because originally what they wanted to do and the way it was written in the script and there was even you know sets that were made that had this printed on it was it was originally going to be called swan song records Oh, that's interesting. But they couldn't do it legally because there was already a small label that was called Swan Song. So for legal reasons, they had to change it. So they had to come up with something and then superimpose this wherever they saw the Swan Song thing. You you still see the, the Swan logo. You see that. Somewhere it's just a picture of a swan, and I think it's like blue and green and pink and whatever. It's it's the 70s. Uh, but every time they saw that, they had to change it. And I don't think they even reshot anything. I think they did it all just with in post-production, in the editing of it. Yeah, because I did notice the swan logo. You do see it. It's actually even tattooed to him on his back in the one scene. But oh, I, d- I don't even remember sure if I saw like that. Sure looks like it when yeah. he's in the bathtub. Oh, yes, when Paul Williams, he's in the bathtub and he's, he's talking to himself. Right, yeah. at a younger age. But 
it was on different things the swan was and i wondered why that was on there if he was just like the character had that attachment to his name because it's not the logo so you did wonder but actually it's interesting what you said because by the nature of them having to change it the death records logo really did add something to the film i mean i i kind of dig the dead bird laying there yeah I'm not any kind of person that loves dead birds, but it's just the way the logo is. It's the way the logo is laid out, right? It's just good artwork. You're not a dead bird enthusiast? No, I feed the birds. But, yes. But it's the way the logo is laid out. It's a simple drawing, and it's just, and it and matches with what they're doing trying to make this band with a record label, you know, seeking out this super money thing and just preying on young talent it fits a lot better than the swan song that's true that's true it's interesting that you did think it was part of the story though because i i the first time i saw this movie i i noticed it too but i guess it didn't really distract me at all and then i you know did some further research and found out the reason why and uh, i did, i guess i didn't think it stood out as much but you know, well, they it have it at the beginning there with Rod Serling giving the opening with Another the bird circling fact. around, right? Yes. The bird is like doing the thing like it's the Twilight Zone. Another fun fact about this movie was uh, Rod Serling. Because right away when we put it on, you said, yeah, that sounds like that guy from the Twilight Zone. Yeah. And I, I quick looked it up, and it, it is. It's Rod Serling, uncredited. So he's not credited at all for right. it, for whatever reason. Who knows? Maybe he just did it as a favor. Maybe, you know what? Maybe he didn't want his name on it. It, it could be. You know? It was a flop. It didn't make any money at all. I think it could become popular now. Well, yeah. It, maybe it could find uh, that later audience. There's a lot going on with it. There is. You know, it's it's got humor to it. It's got the music. It actually has a it's not a drum it's not like a drama, but there is a dramatic story that's being told. Yeah, there's a little bit of dark comedy and there's actual just straight up comedy. It's, yeah. It's got a lot going on as far as that. Absolutely it does. It's, I, I'm gonna go down a path here and I don't know if it's good or bad but let's go i have to ask you if you noticed the running bird theme throughout the movie the bird theme yeah oh are you talking about uh william finley's outfit yeah as well as the dead bird and swan and all of that and phoenix phoenix oh wow feathered jackets yes uh jessica harper's character phoenix and actually in the story without giving spoilers her character's name actually makes sense towards the end of the movie or maybe three quarters of the way through because the phoenix is always you know rising so yeah i noticed a strong bird theme throughout the thing and I kind of wondered why he put all that in there I don't know there is now that I think of it the last scene I always get a huge kick out of and I think uh, it almost changed the rating on the movie uh, yes it did because this was rated PG but uh, there's a scene at the end with a big musical number where they have all those dancers. Yes, and they were all birds. And <laughs> yeah, but they they weren't like <laughs> they were scantily clad birds. Right, but their headgear that they had on. They had headgear and they had wings, and all the girls are wearing tops, but their bottoms. Just it's like a, a bikini. Just a few feathers. <laughs> few black feathers yes, few black feathers just and uh, <laughs> there was a see there was a strong bird theme there was a strong never bird picked theme, up on that but uh yeah they had a lot of feathers on their bikini bottoms that's all i'm gonna say because it, it and it may or may not look like something else yeah uh, <laughs> there you go 
<laughs> but yeah, Phoenix always had a feathered coat on. She did, or she had like a feather in her hat or something like that. There was this, always something a bird connected anything. with the main characters. Yeah. Because I think that William, what was his name? William Finley, who plays uh, Winslow Leach, Win- who okay. becomes the Phantom of the Paradise. Because Winslow's mask after he needs it. Kind of look like an owl's head. It does, and uh, I. Uh, this was. Uh, this is another. There's so much trivia about this movie. One other piece is that William Finley came up with that bird motif himself. Oh, that's a, interesting. With a collaboration with one of the costume designers. So now I gotta wonder if well, you know which came first. Haha, <laughs> it's a chicken and egg situation. We're back uh, to birds. Yeah, uh, I see what you did uh, there. I just <laughs> just stumbled upon it. I see that. Um. So, yeah, I wonder if he was influenced by that, uh, by the dead bird logo and swan. This is, that's interesting. I never thought about that with this movie, and I've seen it a few times. No, it was pretty obvious straight up when I was watching, obvious to me anyway. But I was watching a lot of the costuming because it's of that era of the 70s when everything was kind of just wild for even stores what they were selling on the rack for what you'd wear we had really colorful things oh yeah and so watching that part i was kind of paying i was paying attention to that background stuff with costuming the colors yes. in this movie is one thing i absolutely love yes it's so vibrant which and, is very much the 70s and you also have brian de palma directing it And I love the way he, I pointed it out to you where it's not throughout the entire picture, but through a good few scenes, he does that split screen where he shows you, because most of the time with movies, you see what's going on in the scene. Right. But there's always something else that's going on in the story. It's the same with a stage play. We see what's happening in that moment, but just as in real life, these there's other characters that are interacting with people right and De Palma takes it and says well I'm just going to give it all to you and he does that split screen where you see like what's going on on stage with the juicy fruits and then what's going on backstage where Philbin one of Swan's stooges is yakking with the talent back there and uh, he does that same method in Carrie yeah that was classic to what's in Carrie yes the one thing I noticed on his one split screen, though, is he did two TV set backgrounds. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, he had showed you different things going on like that, but then there was the outline of the television set, like you were watching it through a TV, and so there was two TVs side by side. Right. Yeah. And it's, I think it fits the style perfectly. Oh, Like yeah. you said, it captures the 70s. And it just lends right to that, the costumes, like yep. you said, and the colors and the outrageous music. It all lends to it in a nice, neat package. Yeah, the music was really good. I yep. think Paul Williams once said that, because uh, most of the music that he had done is, for lack of a better term, like easy listening. Right. Uh, which is great, and he's great at it. But he never really dabbled with anything else. And he did comment that his band, because he's had the same band for many, many years. And he said that they had the most fun on this movie, or at least he thought they did, because they got to do something different. They got to play around with all these different rock, kind of an evolution of rock music, if you will. They definitely did have that, because when they are doing their show and the band comes out to play which number well where they were doing the kiss it was kind of a playoff on kiss when they were singing oh towards yes that's when uh yes that's when they actually are debuting at the paradise and uh instead of phoenix played by jessica harper to be the lead which is what uh, the Phantom, Winslow Leach, wanted. They get Beef. Right. And I love his name. Yeah. Beef. He, his character was something else. Do you think that's a play on uh, Meatloaf? Yeah. I always thought Definitely, that too. Definitely, because if you look at all the different genres that are in there, 
they were playing off of every kind of genre they could find. So I'm sure it was. Yeah. Because his character was very well, and much not that. only that, like meatloaf, beef. Right. Uh, you know, right there. Right. <laughs> they kind of gave you clues to that stuff. Yeah, and it's it's such fun with all of it. And uh, like I, you said it when we started it, or I can't remember if we said it while we were on the mics or afterwards or whatever, but you said it's all this stuff going on, and it makes sense. Yeah, they tie together Faust, Phantom of the Opera. What's the third one? There's three things they tied. Well, they had the horror in there. Yes, and there's a little bit of like a fountain of youth yes. thing to it as yes. well. A lot of folklore. Plus, then you have all the music and the theatrics with that. Then you have the corporate evil music industry and the commentary on that. And yeah, because Swan ends up being the evil character, really. Yeah. You know. And then I wondered, are they portraying him to be the devil then? Well, that's a good question. You know? So getting back to uh, the costuming uh-huh. uh, with, you know, that bird motif. That's interesting. I'm I want one of them shirts. I, I, well, we might have to. But like I said, William Finley came up with the bird motif of the phantom costume. and But there's more to it than just the, the helmet. Because so Winslow Leach is trying to protect his music He's trying to make sure he doesn't get ripped off. So he breaks in to Swan's house, which I always thought was just amusingly named Swanage. Yeah. Did you catch that? Yeah. Yeah. The guy's full of himself. He named his house after himself. That's right. So Winslow Leach breaks in and he gets beat up. And the, he, the cops are paid off to drop drugs in his bag so then he ends up getting arrested and he goes to sing sing prison oh yeah yeah this part's good it's this is my favorite part of the whole thing because this is like and it's not that long in the movie it's at the beginning this is just setting things up it's pretty much a blip so he gets there and he finds out he's in the uh volunteer dental division of sing sing so all the prisoners are volunteering to have all of their teeth removed and replaced with like metal teeth and uh and then it cuts right to them on their work floor you know prisoners doing uh, what do they call that job labor or yeah work they have labor. To do their labor they keep them busy right. i don't know if they do that anymore but i don't know in that day they did well, instead of imprinting license plates, because that's always the old stereotype, they're boxing together tiddlywinks. Yeah, that one was really <laughs> funny. I just kind of looked at you like, what? Here they are putting together the boxes of tiddlywinks. All these prisoners putting together tiddlywinks what are you to go doing? to the toy what store. What do you do in prison? Oh, you got time to play with tiddlywinks. So, so they do the tiddlywinks and all of that. And then, oh, yes, it's William Finley. He hears the music on the radio. Yeah. And, and now he, kinda, he knows he's ripped off. He goes kind of crazy then. Well, yeah. He's been through enough. I, th- I I figured he would have been crazy at that point. But he breaks out of Sing Sing in one of the delivery trucks, <laughs> the toy delivery trucks with all the tiddlywigs. Yeah. And breaks into Swan Records, or excuse me, Death Records. Right. And he gets caught in the record press and screws up his face and half his body and Hence whatever. And he becomes the phantom. And of that's the how opera. he becomes the phantom. But then how he's able to speak. This is the oh, point I'm yeah, getting Oh, yeah, that to. was pretty good. Where they take all the, all the auto-tuning for a better there point you is go. what they did. They yes. auto-tuned. It was Swan auto-tuning his voice. That's right. Swan yeah. Swan took him under his wing. Ah, see what I did there? See what you did there. <laughs> I got it. I see that. And it is. It's auto-tuning. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. Anybody who's like a music industry aficionado, you would love this movie because it's all of that stuff because he can't sing, he can't speak, but with electricity, 
electronics and technology, we can create your voice and we can recreate a voice. And then he's plugged into the board when he wants to sing. But when he's talking, he's got that little box. Right. On This is getting back to the costume. See, right. I'm trying to put a button on this. I don't know how well it's working. That's okay. But at any rate, the box that he has to talk is talk box. I don't know if this is true or not, but one thing that I have heard is that that talk box me- uh, mechanism that they created possibly inspired the same sort of unit on Darth Vader. Really? Yes. That's interesting. The The idea of it. Because it did kind of have, maybe not like Darth Vader's so- sound, but on that same line. Well, right. It's not the same voice. The voice uh, is different, It's obviously. a distorted voice. Yes. Yeah. But I just looked it up in a, a Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope came out in 1977. Phantom of the Paradise came out in 1974. Huh. It's completely plausible. Oh, it definitely that is. That somebody could have ripped it off. That they saw that this was done and they're getting they're like, oh, ideas that's a good idea. Them. Yeah, that's cool. Isn't that weird? Yeah. There's so many weird things to this movie. That's probably what I enjoy the most about it. There is, because you did mention the director. He directed Carrie also. and I Among have, other films. I have to say, when William is up, his character's not William, I can't remember. Winslow. Oh, Winslow Leach. When Winslow yes. is up in the upper part of the theater trying to do things to get rid of his enemies... That very much had a feeling of the Carrie scene where she's on stage. Oh, yes. How it was staged. Yes, the all of that. I thought the same thing. Yeah, just how it was staged, the whole thing seemed very... I don't know when Carrie was made, but they had very much similarities. But the interesting part of that, because we're talking about the sets. Right. We're talking about how the whole thing looks. The costuming, all of it together. All of it together, but particularly the set because there was one thing that you noticed in the credits i did it was kind of a surprise i was reading the credits and here comes across the person that did the sets was sissy spacek right that just blew my mind (laughs) isn't that wild yeah it is (laughs) so what year was carrie made i'm not sure that's another interesting piece to this whole thing because it was before Phantom of the Paradise was before Carrie. Oh, okay. Two years prior. Carrie didn't come out until 1976. That's interesting because that whole stage scene was very reminiscent of the stage scene in Carrie. And, well, the, the upper part of it, not yeah. the actual stage. But yeah, when he's crawling around in the upper parts of the stage. It'd be interesting to know who was responsible for that. I think Brian De Palma had a lot to do with it. Right, because it it fits his sensibility, but it'd be interesting to know how much that Sissy Spacek was able to inject into that, and then she is because the stage that they have at the end of Phantom of the Paradise, with the streamers in oh, the background yeah. and everything, and the colors and just with the everything it looks almost well not identical, but in the same tone. It's As very Carrie. much in the same tone. There's a lot of similarities. Oh, yeah. very much so. Yeah. You want to know another fun fact about this movie? What's that? So uh, Jessica Harper, who played Phoenix. Right. And you commented as we were watching this, or, or maybe it was Dad that said it. Yeah, it was Dad. Yeah. He said that she sounded a lot like Karen Carpenter. And she did. She had that rich alto voice. Is that a contralto? Is that what that is? You know, I don't have a music background, so... They both have very rich voices. Yeah. And Paul Williams has said his two favorite female vocalists that he ever wrote for were Karen Carpenter and Jessica Harper. Yeah, I found that really interesting. Here's another interesting thing. 
You know who tried to get the part in Phantom? No. Linda Ronstadt. Oh, no, that wouldn't have fit. I don't know if it would either. I don't think it would have, not I mean, with the music. Well, in Linda Ronstadt, it's, it, she's a great talent in her own right, but I don't know if she would have been mm. able to fit the sensibility of the film. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And then, I mean, you really get a sense of Paul Williams' writing of song in the film. He... His sound really comes through in all of the songs. Oh, yeah. You can tell it's a Paul Williams number. Yeah, because I even asked you at one point, the lead character, if he was singing it or if Paul Williams was singing it. And that's a kind of a fun thing that they play around with as we see Winslow Leach transform into the Phantom. Because you don't really know whose voice you're listening to. Right. Unless you have you have more of a trained ear and you knew that it was the actor. Well, and I've seen the movie a few times and I'm geeky enough where I'll look stuff up. Right, but just watching it the first time not knowing what it was about, it almost sounded like Paul Williams singing. So it was, that part was interesting. And Paul Williams was really young in the movie. (laughs) Oh, yes, very young. Yeah. Very young Paul Williams. Not like the Paul Williams we have now. No. Who's just as good. But right. Well, his, his career developed over time. I it mean, did. But his voice dropped like, a lot, too. Yeah. But he loaded with talent for what he can produce for songs. I mean, it's just amazing. Right. Um, well, just talking in terms of that for a moment, uh, one little story. I mean, I know he's written for other people, but The Carpenters is the only one that pops into my head now. And uh, the song, We've Only Just Begun. Right. Do you know the origin of that song? No. It was a bank commercial. Really? Really. Wow. Yeah. Puts a whole new meaning on it, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Yeah. We've yeah, only it just begun. We want your money. But that was the case where uh, that it was a bank commercial and uh, the Carpenters were at home and they heard it and they said, hey, that's a that's a good song. We should record that. That's funny. And then they found out it was Paul Williams. That's funny. Yeah. Wow. But you're right. Just a huge talent. Yeah. And uh, in, again, one of those artists that I guess, I don't know what it is, if it's they're in the right place at the right time. I think Paul Williams did have a lot of success throughout the 70s. He was on a almost every variety show and talk show oh yes known to man yeah and he was writing music and stuff he was in a planet of the apes movie yeah i mean the stuff he's done it goes all across the board it's kind of crazy but not a lot of people are aware of who he is no you know my first real introduction to him was through the muppet movie Oh, sure. Because he wrote Rainbow Connection. He also collaborated uh, with a lot of other uh, songs and projects, but that was his first big one. And he's also the piano player in the El Slizo Cafe in the Muppet movie. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Oh, that makes sense, though. So that was my first introduction to him. And, And then learning there's all these, there's weird little audiences that he attracts. Yeah, he does kind of have. For lack of another word, he does have kind of a little different cult followings that he attracts. Yes, people. and they're not at all the same. No. They're very different because I follow it online. There's a lot of Muppet geeks who are really into him. There's, you know, and well, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, yeah. Phantom of the Paradise is huge. Who knew? And, uh, you know, and there's a lot of, based on some of the songs that he writes and the tone of it, I, there's a lot of like middle-aged lonely women <laughs> who do flock to him as there well. You go. Yeah. Yeah. Just wild stuff. Yeah. So so much to talk about with this movie. I mean, uh, I think it's worth more than one watch. I it would really watch is. it again because there's so many things going on in it. Like me picking up on the bird theme. Right. I'm sure there's other themes running through it that I completely missed because you're trying to follow the whole thing. And there's so much going on popping at you. Yeah, in every scene there's there's so much color and so many things going on. It's 
it's it's worthy to watch more than once i think i think so too I mean, yeah and, and as far as a conversation is concerned there's there's so much that we can cover but to coin a phrase we've only just begun oh, there you go. to live there's yeah. only two other people that i've ever heard impersonate paul williams on a podcast and that was uh uh, the comedian John Biner and and Gilbert Gottfried. Those are go. the only two. Did I do a good job? You did. Do it again. <laughs> <laughs> I got you laughing now. Uh, hold on. Maybe I can. Uh, I'm talking to myself and feeling old. Sometimes I like to quit. Never really give a shit. Hang on around. Some kind of lonely cloud. Rainy days and Mondays always get me down. Yeah. I don't know. That, and that I think cool. right now, a rainy day would make everybody really happy. Oh, yes. Rainy days would be very, very, very That's right. welcome. You keep singing like that, maybe we'll get a drop. Was that pretty good? Did <laughs> that I, was good. Was it? Yeah. I don't know. But I'd be your biggest fan. So oh, that's fan. true. Yeah. Well, if anybody else has a critique on my Paul Williams impression, be sure to send it to us via email at talkingmovieswithmymom at gmail.com. Uh, so, yeah, uh, Phantom of the Paradise. You enjoyed it. You'll probably watch it again. I will. It's worth a look Recommend it to your friends. Yeah. And uh, I will, too. I've, I've been in love with this movie for a lot of years. And you can find this on Amazon Prime. You can rent it from other places. You know what? Just treat yourself. Because it's got so much going on. And it's so much fun. Like I said, we've, we've only just begun. I'm not going to sing it again. I'll just say it. But, yeah, do you have anything else to add? No, this was fun. This was fun. And... I guess we have gained a little bit of an audience, so we'll be back again. Thank you to everyone listening. and Yeah, thank you. And next time, we'll see you at the movies. <laughs> <laughs>